You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Amen. It's good to see you in the house of the Lord here tonight. You're here on midweek, and this is midweek Bible study where we go to the Word of the Lord and we're walking through the book of 1 Corinthians and just letting the Lord speak to us. And as I've begun to say often in this series, I did not plan this lesson according to who I thought was be here or who needed it. And uh, so let the word of the Lord just, amen, speak to your heart. But I thank God for his word. How many love the word of God? And the word of God is relevant. And I don't want to ever enter towards the word or handle the word lightly, take it, take it easy. But we want the word of God to have a holy reverence. Amen. In our life, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. And this is profitable for all. It's all profitable for instruction, correction, and reproof. And we're going to go to first Corinthians chapter number seven. Amen. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. you. May be seated. And we're going to pick up here where we left off. We closed out the chapter last week, or we closed off the session in the fifth verse of the chapter. And uh, we're in a unique passage here. Paul is addressing some critical issues within the church. And he has gone from his reproofs of things that are taking place into the church. He has gone from that to... Uh, answering questions that they have asked. And so he's writing back to them his answer to them. And we are here now dealing with the concepts or the themes, if you will, of pertaining to uh, human sexuality, marriage, and singleness, uh, divorce, um, and other issues uh, involving that. And so this is a sensitive topic because the day and age in which this letter was written, they had perverted, polluted God's ordained concepts of sexuality and human relations. And so Paul, interestingly here, writes to them a public response to their question, and he writes it in this letter to be read and taught from publicly in the churches and not just uh, in a session of male uh, or female, but both. And so this letter, when Paul writes it, is going to be read in the church, in the audience of those that are both single and those that are married in the audience of those that are both male and female. And this seems to be uh, what some would consider a forward topic because he is delving into the issues of how marriage works, what it's about, and how sexuality works. And this ought to be uh, a relief for us when we come to this passage. When we come to this passage, this ought not be something that we stick our heads in the sand and pretend like this part of Scripture is not there. But this ought to be a relief for us in our day and age because 
What Paul is doing is he is redeeming what God has intended, and he is taking the concepts that man has polluted, that the enemy has perverted, and he's redeeming these, and he's putting them back into their natural process and their intended process. And this is important. It's important that all Christians, whether single or married, understand God's concepts and context or instructions for marriage and what that is. Just as important as it is for married people to understand that to be single is not to be less than. And singles don't look down or up to marrieds in the church. And married couples are not to look down upon single couples, or they're not to look at single couples with envy. (laughs) You're paying attention. This was an issue that Paul actually addressed in this passage. And he tries to restore to us the purpose of life is bigger and beyond, if you will, the temporal uh, confines of of holy matrimony. As sacred as it is, as God-ordained as it is, life even goes beyond marriage. It's bigger than that. And he addresses that also in this passage. So this passage is so so deep, and there's so much here that we could hang on every word. You could go through with a fine-tooth comb, if you will, and dissect the sentences and look at what, examine what is being said, examine, note what is not being said, and then make those applications into your life. So Paul is speaking both to singles and he's speaking to marrieds. And the reason why he's speaking about these subjects publicly is because in the church in that time, as we read from this, we can understand that there were marrieds that were wishing to be single, and there were singles that were wishing to be married. And Paul is even going to be so bold in a certain attempt where he's going to say, no, actually right now, I'm not speaking of the Lord, but I'm telling you, it's not in your best interest that you get married. So then do we take from that that then to be married is horrible or bad, or that's not God's first option? As the church in historical times, the church at large, I use that term loosely, in historical times has looked down upon marriage and thought, oh, marriage is for those that are less spiritual, that can't control their animalistic natures and bless God. Here are we, the celibate of God living for the Lord. And Gnosticism grows out of this kind of concept that I'm just going to live this life of absolute uh horrible fastings and everything else, and look at me, it makes me so spiritual. That life actually, if anything, proves the glory of marriage. Because when you say, look at me, how spiritual I am, I'm going to go live in a wilderness, and I'm going to go, I'm going to only going to eat this and this, and I'm not going to eat all the other things, and I'm going to go out here, and I'm never going to have a, uh, 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 a spouse in, in my life, and look at how holy and close to God that I am. And, and actually, yeah, you're trying to make yourself miserable to say how close you are to God. In actuality, you can be a Christian and not have to live in the wilderness and eat anything you want and have a spouse and be joined together in holy matrimony. And so Paul is addressing all of these things here together. So this is a 
very, very relevant and an important topic and a chapter of Scripture that I think we ought to be more familiar with than we are, and we ought to be more versed than we are, and we ought to let this impact us in in its God-given ways more than maybe perhaps we do, and and turn off Hollywood and turn off the social uh, 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 self-appointed prophets of our day that, that, that frequent uh, you know, all the TV shows telling you how to have your best life and your best happy marriage and everything else and get back to what the Word says about this. So we picked up here. We stopped at, we, well, we sort of ran through, but we stopped really at verse number five. And, and I can't just jump back in here without setting it up. He says, now concerning the things of verse one, whereof we wrote unto you, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. We, we established that last week. That's talking about sexual immorality, nevertheless, to avoid fornication or the Greek pornea or sexual immorality, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. That is one to one being joined together. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence and likewise the wife under the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. And we talked about how in marriage, the concept, the takeaway here is that marriage is a ministry. And you are in marriage, you are to minister to the other and you are to serve them. If you don't, want to serve somebody else, do not get married. It's like, I'll never forget the time when we were at, we were home and a friend of my youth group said, uh, he said, uh, uh, he was leaving, said, well, this is my last Sunday. I was like, well, where are you going? He said, well, I'm going to join the army. And I said, oh, really, why are you joining the army? He said, and this is literally his words. I'll never forget this. He said, I'm sick of people telling me what to do. I'm sick of my mom and dad telling me what to do. I'm sick of everything... <laughs> What Paul is saying here is when you are approaching the marriage because you're going into it for what you can get out of it and what it can offer you, you have missed the whole concept here of what's happening. In marriage, you are a servant to your spouse. You are a minister to your spouse. You put your needs on the back burner and you tend to the needs of the other in the house. You come last now, not first. If this, is, if this is not your concept, why are marriages having so many problems today? Because that's not how it's presented. That's not how it's painted. In our world today, it's all about what I can get. Look at what he says. He goes on to verse 5. Defraud not one another except it be with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and come together again that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. And that is translated in most other places for your lack of self-control. And here when he's talking about defrauding not one another, he literally says that for you, when you enter into a holy matrimony to become one flesh, you are not your own. And you are now given to that other person. And when you go and in that marriage, you withhold yourself from the other. He literally says it is defrauding the other person. And he says that's not the attitude. That's not the thing. You don't play games in your marriage. You don't, you don't play these kind of games. And when we play these kind of games, it causes all kinds of problems and frustrations. Look at what he says. He said, defraud not one another. That's the rule. That's the standard. You are here to serve the other. This has to be your intent. And then he gives an exception 
And note here that what Paul does is Paul is permitting something. Now, I want us to highlight this. Paul expects, this is important, look what he says. Defraud not one another, except it be with consent for a time. So he says, if there is, if there is to be any withholding in coming together, he's saying it should be with consent. So that means it's got to, you can't just go to the other person and tell them, oh, by the way, this is my schedule for the month and, and you're not included. And he says, and then it should be for a limited time. You're not going to get this teaching everywhere tonight. <laughs> Look at what he says, that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer. I also would like to digress here on another note that Paul expected there to be fasting and prayer in the home. So now we've got, we, we're hitting on all kinds of buttons that are, that, are, that are going wrong in most marriages today. There's no prayer and fasting in the home. There's no consent. And there's no designated time. There's no communication here. And we're defrauding one another. And we're playing one again. And we wonder why the marriage can't work. We wonder why we can't get ahead. Now, he says he expects there to be prayer and fasting in the home. But even in his expecting of that, he notes that there will be a time where prayer and fasting will interrupt the regular duties of mankind. There's going to be a time prayer and fasting, certain things aren't going to be tended to. That's okay. That's permissible. But Paul does not say that it is a must. He is not commanding. Look at what he says. He goes on in the next verse, but I speak this by permission and not of commandment. What Paul, what's Paul saying there? Paul's saying, look, he's saying the only time that you can have consent and say, look, we're going to separate and not be husband and wife in the physical sense. You understand what I'm saying? He says, that's when there's consent for prayer and fasting. But then Paul says, but I'm making this allowance by permission. I am not commanding that every marriage have such intense fasting and prayer that they be separated. You can have fasting and prayer and not have to be separated. And then look at what he says. And come together again that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency or your lack of self-control. One of the biggest safeguards against infidelity in marriage is a healthy relationship. And this is what Paul is testifying. When you're, when you're separated, you know it's because we've consented that we're putting God first in the focus of spiritual prayer and fasting. But then we come back together to serve one another, to love one another, because we are, we too are one flesh. And when you keep that relationship strong, he said, it helps, it helps keep temptation out of the marriage. Now, can someone, someone can still have temptation and still fall to the lust of the flesh and all those things. I understand that. So this is what Paul is telling church. Now, why is Paul not telling? He's not just telling this to marrieds. He's telling this to singles. And so he's letting the church know we've got to have strong marriages. And there is a reality of relational responsibility that takes place within that marriage. 
And when you see someone else that's married, you stay out of their relationship. And you let them be husband and wife. Don't try to be best friends with a, with a, with a spouse of the opposite sex. Because you're not their spouse. And Paul says, look, he said, don't play games and defraud one another and withhold from one another because when you do, you are allowing Satan an opportunity to come in to tempt them. To tempt them. Because they're living a life of expectation that, hey, we are together. This is our marriage. You and me, it's us against the world. We're together. We are one in Christ. And when there is cause for frustration and cause for question in that, you are bringing in all kinds of frustrations from someone who's living in a marriage frustrated and somebody that is living a celibate life knowing, hey, I'm, I'm living my life for God, and I'm not involved in that, not focused in that. When you have a spouse that's trying to work on the marriage, they're a whole person. And so they're trying to work on every avenue of the marriage. And so when you're resistant and holding, uh, withholding yourself, there's temptation that comes in in this place. Now, this is shocking that Paul is actually writing about this. Paul is not just leaving it for them to work this out, but Paul himself is actually giving clear and public instruction on this. Look at what he says. Now, he goes on in verse 6. We already read that, and he's saying, look, we understand uh, that this abstinence, uh, he's not commanding periods of abstinence in marriage, but he's permitting that there be a period of abstinence in marriage with consent for a designated period of time. And the thing that we assume, most scholars assume, that he's addressing in the church is that were, there were people in the church that were so focused on the kingdom of God and the times and the situations that they were forsaking their marital duties and responsibilities as if they weren't married. And Paul's saying, no, 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 you are married. You don't. This is not the time to skirt that relationship. Look at what he goes on here in verse number 7. For I would that all men were even as myself. What does he mean by that? Single. That's what he means by that. Now, some believe, and, and, and we don't know, we can't prove, but some scholars believe that, that Paul may have been a widower or a divorcee uh, or something because when he speaks about marriage, he does so in Romans, he does in, he does in other places, when he speaks about marriage, he speaks as one. He has such a great understanding and, and a healthy biblical concept of it that it's as if he's speaking about something that he does know about. But yet he here now is saying, I would, now note what he says, I would, not God would, I would that everyone be as me. And he said, but everyone hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. So what Paul says here. In verse 7, is Paul is acknowledging that not all would be married. And Paul even identifies both marriage and singleness as a gift from God. Now, this is countercultural because in the, in the Corinthian culture, in the, 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 the Greek customs of that day, if you were not married, you were a nobody. If you weren't married, marriage came and went so easy. 
that if you weren't married, you were just the worst of the worst. That, I mean, you couldn't find anybody. That was sort of their attitude. And that's a lot of times the attitude in our world today. The world mocks at the concept that there would be a 40-year-old single virgin alive in the world today. Am I telling a lie? They mock at it. They laugh at it. And what Paul says is God has given you a gift. If that's you, he's given you a gift just as much as somebody that has been married. And what Paul did in the church was Paul elevated the status of singleness in the church and he put everyone on equal playing ground. We are all equal in the sight of God. And I'm going to tell you, if you're ever going to find equality in the church or anywhere, it ought to be in the church. That we are all equal. We're equal sinners. (laughs) We're equal in need of salvation. We're equal in need of mercy. We're equal in in promise. We're equal in hope. We're equal in blessing. I'm not better than you uh, because God's blessing more. I'm not better than me or or, or bless me in a different way. We are all level, as my pastor would say, we are all level at the foot of the cross. And this is what Paul is doing. He is elevating this. And he calls it a gift. He said, if you're single, it's a gift. So what does he say in verse 8? I say, therefore, to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. Now, as Paul just got done explaining rather vividly and in detail, there is a high standard of selfishness in marriage that extends not just from the relationship, not just in the the family or the larger family, but all the way down to sexuality. And Paul later on is going to ask them, are you sure you really want this? Because if you're a selfish person and you're really selfish, then, then maybe you definitely ought to stay single. If this is all about you. And Paul says, look, I, I, I would that um, you be even as I. And he calls it that there, he said, look, I want the widows to be as, as I. And Paul acknowledges that there are benefits for some people to remain single in the kingdom of God. There are benefits when you use it for the glory of God. And Paul is letting people know, look, because I am single, In his ministry, he was able to do many things because of his singleness. He didn't have have a family that we know about to take care of. And so Paul was able to do what he did, go where he went, and do all of those things. And so he says, when you're able to do that, it's a gift. Things change when you get married. Amen. But in verse 9, if they cannot contain... Let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. Now, what's he talking about here? And I referenced this the other, the other week, that sometimes we use this verse sort of as, uh, uh, I, I don't know, we, we throw it at somebody, well, bless God, they just can't control their lust of their flesh, so it's better to marry than to burn. They better go find somebody. No, that's not what he's saying here. He's saying if there's two people that, that have a desire for one another, then let them get married. 
That we're, just because he's elevating singleness and saying that there's a gifting in that, I can do things, I can go places, I, I can serve in certain ways in the kingdom of God. Paul would qualify, look, I can do all of this because I have a gift of being single. But that does not diminish someone that says, look, I'm attracted to somebody else. I, I see something in someone else. I am drawn to them. Wow. I want to marry them. I was, I, I, I've shared this story uh, a few times. But I had come to the reality in my life that I was not good at selecting a helpmate in my life. After my pastor told me a few times, Andrew, you, you, you need to run. You need to, you need to stay single. I thought, well, my goodness, I just don't have any discernment. I can't choose anything. And I was like, I'm, I'm, God, I'm just going to focus on you. I, I remember I had the prayer meetings. I had the lone time with God. I'm just going to focus on you. I'm going to chase after the kingdom of God. I'm going to be the best evangelist that I can be all by myself. I'm, I'm just going to live, do everything for God. And Lord, you're going to have to write, you are going to have to write their name in the clouds before I ever do anything else. And, and uh, some good friends were trying to... Uh, uh, they were trying to uh, get me to be interested in, in, in Janelle. And I thought, no, I'm focused. I'm not going to let anything hinder me. Nothing's going to distract me. I got my hand to the plow. I'm not looking back, bless God. And they kept trying to get me to pay attention to her. And, and people even arranged that we would show up at the same events and they would be, she would be there. I mean, they went through this whole elaborate thing, months and months and months. And we were at a meeting together and somebody was taking pictures of her, and they then they gave me the pictures. This is before, you know, pictures on your cell phone kind of thing. They had the pictures developed, and they gave me the pictures of a group, and there she was. Look at this. Isn't she pretty? Yeah, she's gorgeous. Yeah, isn't she pretty? Yeah, yeah, but I, I, I don't need this in my life. And I remember, I'm going to tell you, this is just my story. It may not be your story. This is just my story. I left I left the Midwest. I was going out to the East Coast. I was going to be out there for two or three months preaching revivals and meetings. And I was out there. And I remember I'd kneel down to pray, God, give me a word to speak for tonight. I was praying. And all I could think about was Janelle. I couldn't get her out of my mind. I couldn't get her. I couldn't get that picture out of my, I just, all I could think about. Lord, Lord, I remember saying, Lord, you've got to get this out of my mind. I can't even... And long story short, my pastor who had told me, no, 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 comes up to me and says, this is the girl you need to marry and you better marry her as quick as you can. My parents basically told me the same thing. And uh, God didn't write it in the cloud, but he did pretty much everything else, but write it in the cloud. And finally, I thought, what am I doing? This is ridiculous. She's perfect. I, th I'm, I'm, I think she's beautiful. I'm attracted to her. Everybody else in my life that knows about God and hears from God is telling me that this makes sense. Who am I to stand here and say that look at me, bless God, because I'm single? You say no. If, if there is a passion in their heart, let them marry. Let the Lord, that, that's a blessing in that. What a blessing. I, I, I'm thankful. Now, maybe not everybody has that story, but God can redeem the story. But there's something wonderful, nothing more powerful, amen, than when you know, hey, you know what I'm attracted to in my spouse? It's not just the, 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 the things of the flesh, but it's their spirit. It's their love for God. It's their desire for the kingdom of God. Wow, some beautiful things there. And Paul says, look, if they cannot contain, 
let them marry. There was a dark period in the church. And I say the church, I use this in church history, where the so-called church would forbid, forbid marriage or look down upon as it, le- it was less than. There was a dark period. And, and I'm not throwing shade. I don't, I don't choose to throw shade on anybody or, 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 or point fingers to anybody. But I will tell you, it is an established fact. You go back to church history where people thought the only ones that could be spiritual, they would be defiled and they would be less than if they would ever get married. So the only ones that can be priests and fathers and mothers and nuns and all that stuff, they have to be absolutely take this vow of celibacy if it's some holy high attaining thing. That was actually a human reaction to a secular world ideology. That is not a biblical concept. And they began to organize in church circles that there was the less than. There was the people that in marriage, oh, God forbid, And sex became something bad in the church for a long time. And now sex is on every billboard. You can't go to the grocery store without it being, I mean, literally, you can't, without it being plastered all over the magazines. And what's happened for too long is because sex became a bad thing in the church, the church wouldn't talk about sex. And so you have people that never addressed it all the while. You went through years where people couldn't even read the Bible. They didn't even know that was in there. Because they didn't know that was in there. People could lord over them and tell them things. No, what Paul said is, my goodness, if they can't contain, if there's love in their heart, if there's an attraction there, my goodness, let them marry. Paul is promoting marriage in this verse. Let them marriage. Don't let the church stand in the way and don't look down upon them. Just as Paul said, I won't let anybody look down on you because you have a gift of singleness. We should not look down on anybody because they are desiring to be married. And the church said, Amen. And under the married, I command, now he takes authority. It's beyond his advice. He says, and unto the married, I command. Yet not I, but the Lord. So now Paul is speaking in authority here. He's saying, this isn't my opinion. And and note, he is talking to Christian couples here. Not talking to secular couples. He's talking to couples in the church that are married. He said, I command, let not the wife depart from her husband. Now, this is strong language. Paul is turning to a strong tone. Let not the wife depart from her husband. This is the issue that was going on in the church. People that were saying, well, I'm, you know, i I'm in the church now. I'm just sold out to God. I love God. They got saved, and all of a sudden, their salvation in their mind equated, well, I don't need to, I don't need to mess with the marriage anymore. And this was the problem that was coming in the church where people were saying, look, I'm putting God first, and they were justifying their delinquency in their marriage for the cause of the kingdom of God. And look at what Paul says. He says, let not the wife depart from her husband, but, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband and let not the husband put away his wife. Now we have two verses right here that talk about the issue of, uh, that address specifically the issues of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. 
So in this, in this case, in this context, and these two verses here are not an expose on divorce and remarriage. They're, they're just that. They're two verses where Paul's addressing the issues at Corinth, and he says, look, just because you have a call to the kingdom or you have a burden for the kingdom of God does not give you an out in the marriage by using Jesus as the excuse. You're still in the marriage. Don't depart. So in that marriage, you now have, in that context, you still have a responsibility. And he spoke this not of himself, but of God. You still have a, a duty to your spouse under the authority of God. So you cannot say, well, I'm going to go serve God and, and neglect the duty because that's disobedient to God. You can't say, I'm obeying God by disobeying God. That's an oxymoron. So he says, let not the wife depart. And then he says, and let not the husband put away his wife. So don't let the husband go and divorce his wife. Now, this is a really interesting thing here because Paul says to the wife, he doesn't use the exact same language, and so some have argued over this, and I make you aware of this, over whether or not when he talks about letting her leave, whether she's just entering into separation or whether she's actually fulfilling a divorce. Others would understand in the Jewish custom that men, the men were the ones that had to go get the divorce and give it to the women. The women did not have to give a bill of divorce to the men. And so others suspect then, well, maybe that's why he uses the language with the man saying, do not put away your wife, or as Jesus says, that was their phrase in that day for to divorce a wife. Um, do not divorce her. And he doesn't give the exception to the man, but he does give the exception to the woman, which is an interesting thing here. And maybe we shouldn't hold too hard on that because, again, this isn't an expose of it, but look at what he does. He does give the exception, and the exception is in verse 11, but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried. Now, by that extension, we would think then that he is, in fact, talking about divorce in verse 10. And if she does decide that I am so called to the kingdom of God that he's in the way, I can't, I can't live with him, I can't be his wife anymore, Paul says then, okay, then you cannot remarry because remarriage would constitute adultery in the context that Jesus already established and in the context of what's been established in Deuteronomy. And then he goes on, why should she not be unmarried? Well, he gives the reason here. The reason why she should remain unmarried is because so that she could be reconciled to her husband. And the point was for reconciliation. So if the wife chooses to leave, she should, okay, if there's some issue, that's fine. There will be exceptions, he gives, but then let her remain unmarried so that there can be a reconciliation. And then he goes in specifically to the husband. He just simply says, and let not the husband put away his wife. And so some would believe by extension he's also meaning the same thing. Now, there's a lot that we could take from this, and a lot of people will come to this passage scripture alone, 
and they'll say, aha, okay, there's no cause ever for divorce, and they would negate everything that's been established. There's two verses at the end of this chapter that we'll talk about again, where he does say, in the general sense, the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, in verse 39. But if her husband be dead, she's at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she so abide after my judgment, and I think also that I have the Spirit of God. Now, these are just two passages where he's referencing it, but it is not an expose, as I said, of divorce and remarriage. And if I was going to touch on this for a little bit, I want you to note some things. To have a holistic concept of this, we would have to go back. We would have to first start in Genesis, where God first gives the definition of what marriage is. We did that in our origin series. Then we would have to go to the Sermon on the Mount and the teachings of Christ, where Christ takes their interpretations of the original intent and they twist them and he straightens them back out. And Jesus actually goes and says, look, even before Moses, God's intention, God's intention in establishing and ordaining marriage was that marriage would never be absolved, but when there was difficulties, that those difficulties would be worked out. God knew there was going to be difficulties because it's not two, two halves coming together, it's two holes coming together. And anytime you get two whole opinions, you're going to have conflict. And you are not complete in your spouse, you're complete in God. And Adam and Eve were not complete in each other, they were complete only in God. And when sin entered in, they still had one another, but now they're in a fallen state. But there was distance between God. And what we need is not each other, what we need is God in our life. And so we don't even approach the marriage ideology as this is going to help me, this is what I need in my life. No, because if that's how you're approaching marriage, you are messing up because you're thinking marriage is going to be good for me for what marriage is going to give to me and marriage is going to do for me. No, the only thing that's going to be good for you is God in your life. You need God in your life. You are complete in God. So we have to have that whole holistic understanding because if we don't go back to what the original intent is, we are already on shaky ground even when we're jumping in on the New Testament, we don't even understand. And this is what Paul is trying to restore. And Jesus does this in Matthew chapter 5 when he addresses the issue. If we went to Matthew chapter 5 real quick, Sermon on the Mount, and he, he is taking a, a discourse here, going through all of their misinterpretations of Scripture, if you will. And uh, I'm looking at verses 31 and 32. And he, he's going through what they have heard, and he says, And it, it hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. Now, now pause on verse 31. Look at, what, look at the problem here. The problem is, the issue, it hath been said, Whosoever shall put away or divorce his wife, let him give her a bill of divorcement. The context, the issue that they were having in the New Testament, is that they were getting divorced for anything. And so the issue at hand in that day was, how do we go about legally separating to free us and liberate us from this marriage? So they get divorced over anything. They didn't like the way she cooked the eggs. They didn't like the way she kept the house. They didn't like the way that she did her hair, whatever it was. They just decided that we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna divorce, we're going to get separated. We're, 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 I'm, I'm going to leave her, 
and they give her the bill of divorcement, and they were free to go, and look, look, here I am. I'm... And they were relinquished from all of the responsibility. And Jesus says, look, who's, you're, you're approaching it all wrong. Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her the bill of divorcement. Their focus was on how do I get a divorce? And he said, you're asking the wrong question. The question is why? And look at what he says in verse 32. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. What's he saying? What's going on here? What's going on here? Well, we have to have an understanding of the context of, of how this all came about. First of all, in the Old Testament, if you committed adultery, the sin was punishable by death. You were stoned. Deuteronomy chapter 22, you can go back and look at that on your own time. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, there's an interesting thing that most people don't ever highlight or bring about, and that's this, that when divorce, the bill of divorcement was permitted and it was given, there was a prohibition that was put on there, and that was this, that if, first of all, the bill of divorce was given to the woman, not the man. The man never got a bill of divorcement. The bill of divorce was for the protection of the woman, not the man. The bill of divorce was to save the woman and spare the woman, not the man. The man was on his own. He had to work out his own things. But in the type of economic structure and, and, and the way the world worked and their culture and their time, for a woman... It was everything. It was your economy was wrapped up in your marriage. It was your identity. There were huge implications in a marriage. That's why arranged marriages were established. That's why dowries were so big oftentimes. And that dowry was given to, to uh, 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 the bride. And that was her life insurance, if you will, if something happened to the husband. And when a wife was put away, she was destitute. She couldn't just go down and get a job at Walmart. She couldn't go and get a degree and go on and find another job like we can in our day and, day and age today. She was displaced. And so she was expected that she would get married. She would, she would join a family. She would join a house. And she would become the matriarch of that home. It was the way it was set up. And I know for us in, in our modern context, a lot of times when we look on that, and they say, aha, male chauvinism and all those things. There was a lot of equal balancing things. You were not determined that you were a Jew by the father, but it was by the mother. There was a lot of interesting things, that dynamics that were in play. But the whole purpose of the bill of divorcement was for the protection of the woman. And what Jesus was saying is, look, in this day and age, you are easily letting loose of things. And you're just sinning. You're just saying, look, I don't want. And you're putting them out. And you are now making them have to go and find a place where they can, a family that they can join themselves to and to forsake you, and to leave you. And you're pushing them into a state of confusion, and, this, and, and there's just adultery all around because nobody is enforcing the responsibilities that are going on here. And so Jesus takes it back and says, look, you're coming up with every excuse and reason for this. And the Lord says the only permissible thing for the disillusion of the marriage is death or fornication. And fornication is the Greek word pornea, 
which is where we get our word, our, our transliterated in the English language, and by extension, pornography. And so fornication included all of those, uh, uh, a lot of those sins there, a lot of those things that take place there. But even in the case of that, there was times where there could be mercy or there could be grace. And there had to be multiple witnesses. It could not just be one person's hearsay. It could not just be one thing. There was a lot of checks and balances in there. And the bill of divorce often in practice was, was a merciful thing that a husband would do in the case of adultery so that his wife would not be stoned. In practice, a lot of times, that's how they would act that out. But the purpose, and this is a very important point, the purpose of the bill of divorcement was not to, just to annul the marriage legally, but was to qualify the woman for remarriage. And so the woman was permitted to get married again. With that bill, she could not get remarried without that bill of divorcement. And so here Paul is coming to the church and he's saying, look, you cannot forsake your marital responsibilities and, and relationship just because you are called into the kingdom of God or, or, you, or you love the burden that the Lord has placed on you. And he says unto them, let not the wife depart from her husband and let not the husband put away his wife. And then to solidify it and strengthen the value of the marriage, talking about that, people would come up with the exception, aha, but my spouse doesn't love God. Okay? But to the rest speak not I, speak I not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath a husband that believeth not, and he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. So Paul says, look, if you are in a relationship where one does not believe in God, we're not talking a struggling believer. We're talking about somebody that does not believe in God. Paul says, but they're content to allow you to be a saint and a child of God, then do not depart. You, you, let, you stay and remain faithful in your marital relationship and all of that that implies. And look at what he says here. He says, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now... Are they holy? Now, what is he saying here? He's not talking about salvic sanctification. He's not talking about salvation. If the unbeliever is not saved and does not believe, just because a spouse is believed, you are not, they do not get into heaven on proxy because of your belief. But what he's saying is the Holy Ghost that's in you is so powerful that your home is sanctified because of the Spirit of God that's with you and that your children can be sanctified too because of the power of God that is in you. He is literally saying that. Don't you say, well, my husband or my wife is not a believer, so therefore I must leave them because I've got to protect my children. He says, no. You think God is that weak? The Holy Ghost is powerful enough to sanctify your house and to save your children, to cover your children that would have been unclean but now are they holy. And look at what he says. But if the unbelieving depart, then let them depart. If they look and they say, no, 
I don't want anything to do with this. He said, then don't fight them, let them go. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. So what does he mean by bondage? Bondage, what's, what's the bondage? That, that allegory, that analogy there, when you are married, you are in the bonds, as we say, of holy matrimony. You are bound. I am bound till death do us part. I am bound. There's another reason. People, if you're single in here and you don't want to be bound, you don't want anybody telling you what to do, where to go, or what to have, don't get married. <coughs> Paul says, but when you're married, you're bound. But if someone leaves you, if somebody walks out of the marriage because of your faith, you don't leave the marriage because of your faith, but if somebody leaves you because of the faith, you are not bound, you are released from that. You are released from that. And so if you're not bound, you're released. And you're released just as if they were dead. You're released just as if there was fornication and a divorce was permissible in there. You're released from that. You're not bound under that. And he says, you're not under bondage as in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or what knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? But as God has distributed to every man as the Lord hath called everyone, so let him walk. Amen. And I'm going to close here. What he's saying, look, you're going to come to me and tell me that you want to leave the marriage because you love God and you're called. To, I, I want to go serve God in the kingdom. Paul says, don't come and tell me that you're going to leave your marriage because you're going to go serve God in the kingdom. The kingdom starts in your marriage. You stay until your spouse is saved. You be a witness right there. Don't worry about being a witness everywhere else. You stay right there until faith comes in your home right there. Your marriage becomes your first mission field. Your marriage becomes your first ministry. And I don't know how many times... I'm going to say this and come back to this, but your marriage, when you are in a marriage, your marriage is your first ministry. And it doesn't matter how many other people I reach or save or, or heal or whatever, that's my first ministry. And it's too easy for us to compartmentalize and for us to be selfless in other ways, but selfish the moment we walk back through the door of our own home. That should be the place where I'm most selfless. That should be the place where I'm most honest, where I'm most who I am. And look at this. Everything I've taught tonight, look at what, what it is. He says, but as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk as God has called you. God didn't get you out of the marriage to save you. He saved you in that marriage. My marriage is a mess. Yeah, it's a mess, but God was able to save you in your mess. So if he is able to save you in your mess, he can redeem your mess. So don't seek to run away. Walk in the thing that you, you are called in. And he says, look at this last phrase. This is very important. And he says, and so ordain I in all churches. You know what Paul is saying there? He's saying, this isn't just my opinion. This isn't just specific instruction for the Corinthian church. He says, this is ordained. This is doctrine for all churches. What I'm teaching you here is not just applicable because Corinth has this, this gross perversion with sexuality. He says, what I am teaching you here is applicable everywhere. 
Jew, Gentile, Greek, it doesn't matter. These are things that we've established in the church. Amen. 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 Well, here we are. That's as far as we're going to go tonight, and we'll pick up next week where Paul deals with the next issue, that the next excuse they were using for getting out of their marriage. Ah, the Lord's coming. Heard that one before. And so Paul's going to address that. Amen. God bless you. Would you stand together tonight? I want to tell you, marriage is a gift when it's under the umbrella of the Lord. Singleness is a gift when it's under the umbrella of the Lord. And marriage is fine and singleness is fine. It is equal, equal place in the church, equal footing in the church. Don't look at somebody and say, well, they can't minister to me. Bless God, they've never been married. They don't know what they're talking about. Well, just because you're married, you all of a sudden know what you're talking about? No, we're, we're equal in the body of Christ. And so it's a gift. And we're not complete. Also, don't go to someone that's single and make them feel bad. Bless God. Don't go up to them. You know what? It took, come on, kids, come on down here. Come on down here. You're all right. You're already in here. You're hearing what I'm saying. Janelle and I were married for 14 years before our son came along. And good meaning people would come up, I'm so sorry that you don't have any children yet. What? Don't do that. Don't go over to somebody and say, oh, honey, I just don't know why you're not married yet. You're beautiful. You're not helping them. Come on. Nobody's going to help me preach on Wednesday night. No. You are fine just as you are because you are complete in Him. And when I look at you, I don't see a less than. Amen. When I look at you, I see Holy Ghost filled, baptized, redeemed, blood-bought. And that's all, amen, that you need. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Because, you know, the sad reality, marriage is, is one of the greatest assets God could give to you and God could bless you with. But the sad reality is we're not married forever. That this life's going to pass away. And in the end, what are we all trying to do? We're trying to make it to a heavenly home. Over on that other place.